Blazer beat writer Mike Richman. You are listening to another episode of Locked On Blazers, part of the Locked On Podcast Network, available wherever you get podcasts. Today's episode is also brought to you by Built Bar. Built Bar is a protein bar that tastes like a candy bar. Go to BuiltBar.com and use the promo code LOCKDOWN. You get $10 off your first order. On today's show, we are continuing our discussion of Blazers What Ifs. We've already gone deep on Arvidas Sabonis' early arrival in the 1980s, the potential for Moses Malone being a Blazer starting in 1976, and what if the Blazers didn't trade Jermaine O'Neal back in the summer of 2000? Today, we're moving the needle a little bit further forward and asking the question, what if LaMarcus Aldridge never left? Here's how we attack these what-ifs. We do them in three segments because we do the show in three segments. If this is your first Lockdown Blazers, welcome. What a time to be on board. If this is your 571st, I can't believe you've listened to all of them. Thank you for your patronage. But here's how we do the what-ifs. I want to set the stage in this first segment. Why is this a Pantheon-level what-if? Where? What were the circumstances that surrounded this being something that becomes a great hypothetical in Blazers lore? In the second segment, we'll talk about who would be here and who wouldn't be here if this what-if played out the way I see it. And finally, in the third segment, we'll close the show discussing this the biggest ripple effects of this what-if. What is the biggest change that comes to the franchise and the league if LaMarcus Aldridge stays with the team? But first, let's set the stage. After nine seasons in Portland, LaMarcus Aldridge decided to leave in the summer of 2015. But let's rewind it one summer earlier in July of 2014 when LaMarcus Aldridge told Joe Freeman of the Oregonian, and I quote, I'm happy to stay, happy to be here, happy with the direction the team has gone the last year or two. This has no impact on my interest in staying in Portland. I just want to get a five-year deal. I feel like it's the best decision on my part. LaMarcus was responding to the idea that summer he turned down an extension. And the reason he turned down the extension at the time, the reasoning was that he wanted to sign a five-year max contract at the most of his money he could possibly could. You know, he was an established star in the league and a five-year max the Blazers could only offer to him if he entered free agency the following summer. LaMarcus, in that same interview with Joe, Mr. Freeman, continued and he said, I want to be the best Blazer ever. If I stay the rest of my career, I should be able to catch Clyde and by then. I should be able to leave my mark on a big-time franchise that is going to be seen forever, and I'll be able to say I played my whole career here. This city has embraced me and grown with me. I have so much history. It just makes sense to stay. LaMarcus Aldridge didn't stay. A year later, he had signed with the San Antonio Spurs, but he was really good. In that final year, in 2014-15, he averaged 23.4 points and 10.2 rebounds. And for the first time in his career, he started taking more than one three a game, truly expanding his range, a whopping one and a half three-point attempts, but still a big a big step in a, in a certain direction for a guy who'd been addicted to the mid-range. And the Blazers that year were really good. They were just starting to get really good. In fact, the year before, in, in 2014 playoffs, LaMarcus had had two of the great uh, road performances in the history of the franchise and the Blazers eventually beat the Rockets and made the second round of the playoffs. So in 2014-15, they were trying to build on that with this core of 
Damian Lord, Wes Matthews, Nicholas Batum, Lamarcus Aldridge, and Robin Lopez. And they were really freaking good. And then in January, Lamarcus Aldridge tore a ligament in his left, left thumb. And he spent about 24 hours considering surgery that would have sidelined him for six to eight weeks before he decided just to play through the injury and delay any of the medical procedures that he would later have until the summertime. This was a big deal at the time. Uh, 2014-15 was my first year as a full-time beat writer, so I was around this team virtually every single day of the season for nine months. I remember thinking, I can't believe LaMarcus is call is uh, is bowing out to texting with his agency the following day and being like, wait, so he's not? He's back? And he was back. It was a big deal at the time because it was a commitment to this team. It was sort of unclear kind of what his future was. It wasn't something he was going to talk about, but he had made this greatest blazer ever statement the year prior. So there was no reason to really suspect that he might jump ship, so to speak. And then on March 5th, Wesley Matthews tore his Achilles tendon. The Blazers were 41 and 19 at the time. They were third place in the West. They were percentage points out of fourth, but still, this is a top four team in a crowded Western Conference. The Golden State Warriors are sort of ascending to this, what's going to be one of the great five-year runs in the history of the league. The San Antonio Spurs are coming off a world championship. The Memphis Grizzlies are still one of the very tough teams in the Western Conference. And the Blazers are right there with these true, true contenders. But things really changed when Wesley went down. This is, I'm not going to do injury what-ifs. Um, I just think it's unfair to the sport. People get injured. Um, certainly this was the best Blazer team of the last 10 years. At least. Maybe since the 2000 team. This 2014-15 team, they really hit their stride. 41-19 through 60 games. They were fantastic. But things changed for LaMarcus after that injury. There's no doubt about it. Uh, the Blazers had traded for Aaron Aflalo at that point, and Aflalo did not really... F he wasn't good coming off the bench, and in that role where he's supposed to fill in for Wesley Matthews, he, he wasn't an, a solution either. He eventually gets hurt too late in the season, and the Blazers go into the playoffs relying on CJ McCollum, who was a perfectly usable second-year guard, but hadn't really got a lot of opportunities prior to that. And Memphis, when the Blazers faced the Memphis Grizzlies in the opening round of the playoffs, the Grizzlies pretty handily dominate the opening two games of the series, and LaMarcus Aldridge flies home in his private jet. The Blazers, not his private jet, but a private jet, he got a private jet from somewhere in Memphis, flew home. The team came back the next day on the chartered team flight. Their all-star and leader, the face of the franchise to that point, had decided he wasn't going to travel with the team. L.A. didn't play well in that series. He pretty clearly quit on the team. He's walking up the court and just kind of not not dogging it, but there wasn't the intensity with which you would expect someone in his position to play. And it was obvious watching and more obvious if you rewatch the games. I remember talking to him after Game 5 in Memphis, and he just didn't want to answer questions about his future. He said, I'm going to take time and heal up, and we'll talk about that when we talk about that. To me, that was the first signal that, yo, this is real, he might leave. 
When free agency came along in July, LaMarcus Aldridge met twice with the Los Angeles Lakers. Pretty hilarious. The Lakers like pitched him on all this like marketing stuff and he just like did not care. So they begged him to come back so they could pitch him on basketball stuff. Um, Really, really just like the perfect Lakers of the moment right there in the summer of 2015. It's just a beautiful job. Great work, everyone. Uh, He also talked with the Rockets, the Dallas Mavericks, the Phoenix Suns, which the Suns went out and signed Tyson Chandler to uh, to try to get LaMarcus to play there. Uh, he spoke with the Raptors and the Heat briefly, too. But he eventually signed a four-year, $80 million deal with the Spurs. He never discussed returning to the Blazers with the Blazers. Neil Olshay contends that they were holding out and they holding out and they knew. but Or they didn't know, you know, that, that LaMarcus never informed them. Well, he might have not informed them he was leaving, but he never spoke to them about coming back. So I'm pretty sure the Blazers had a good idea that old boy was gone. LaMarcus was really good. At this stage of his career, he was a four-time All-Star. He had made four consecutive All-Star teams. He was about to hit his, basically, his, the end of his athletic peak. He was 29 years old. He'd be 30 at the start of the following season. But he was still very good in the years that came playing with the Spurs. And what this what-if that we will suss out further in the segments two and three is, what if he stayed? What if instead of signing that deal with the Spurs, he committed to that five-year max with the Blazers? Who would be here and who wouldn't be? And what would be the biggest ripple effect? That's what we'll answer next. But before we do that, I want to tell you all more about Built Bar. You know what it is. It's the protein bar that tastes like a candy bar. It's the protein bar that's delicious. That's their trick. They make a really good tasting protein bar. If you're familiar with these lines of products, they're usually dry and kind of gross and that they might be delivering some nutritional impact, but they're not delicious. Built Bar has cracked the code. They've got 16 amazing flavors, all covered in 100% real chocolate with a fantastic texture. They're soft and chewy. Like I said, it's a protein bar that tastes like a candy bar. And it's great for the health conscious among us. Skip the unhealthy snacks waiting for you in the pantry. Grab a Built Bar. For instance, the mint brownie flavor. It's got 15 grams of protein, 110 calories, 4 grams of sugar, and 5 grams of net carbs. And it tastes really good. Here's what you do to get your hands on some of these yummy bars. Go to BuiltBar.com and use the promo code LOCKEDON and you'll get $10 off your first order. That's promo code locked on L O C K E D O N for $10 off at builtbar.com. All right. So we talked about LaMarcus Aldridge, what all happened in a tumultuous 2014 15 season when the Blazers were at their probably their peak. The best, the, this is the best team I've seen um, in my six or so seasons around the team. I think that 20, you know, they won more games the previous year, but that was the best team. They really hit their stride that year. And if, and if Wesley doesn't go out they're a, a, to me, they're a Western conference finals contender, maybe a title contender, uh, depending on how it shakes out. That Spurs team was really good. So who knows? And LeBron and the Heatles were still in Miami. So winning a championship, always difficult, but that team was good enough to play for one. So what happened in the summer of 2015? Well, a whole lot of stuff. LaMarcus left, and the Blazers went with a hard pivot. They 
They let Wesley Matthews walk in free agency. They let Robin Lopez walk in free agency. They traded Nick Batum to Charlotte well before any LaMarcus news came out. They said, we are done with you, Nick. Peace. We'll take Gerald Henderson and Noah Vonley. Then they made some low-cost free agent signings, signing Mo Harkless, Al Farouk Aminu, and Ed Davis. And they traded Steve Blake on draft night, and along with their first-round pick, who was the rights to Rondé Hollis Jefferson, to Brooklyn in exchange for center young veteran Mason Plumley and bouncy white guy Pat Connaughton. So let us assume for the sake of this hypothetical that Neil Olshay does the type of things that Neil Olshay does. And that means he cuts ties with people who aren't his folks. That means Wesley Matthews, who signed with the Blazers prior to Neil Olshay's tenure. Peace out, homie. You can go sign that $70 million deal with the Mavs or $55 million deal with the Mavs. We, we're, we're cool. We're content. Nick Batum, that trade's still going down because you are pre-Neil and he is done with you. They're going to let Robin Lopez walk too in this hypothetical. He was perfect for what they needed. But in this situation, uh, signing LaMarcus to a max contract with the other parts on the team, I think the Blazers getting a relatively cheap and playable starting center when you're still going to have Chris Kamen on the roster and Ed Davis on the roster makes a little more sense. A sort of a three-headed monster of Davis, Kamen, and Plumlee to replace the production of Lopez. Lopez was kind of the part that unlocked the quality of this Blazers roster, but I'm going to say that they move forward with a slight change of direction. So that gives us, in the 2015-16 season, a roster of Damian Lillard, CJ McCollum, who they have now unleashed, unleashed, to start at two and play a little backup point guard. Mo Harkless, who they got for basically for free, LaMarcus Aldridge and Mason Plumley, with a bench of Gerald Henderson, Al Farouk Aminu, Alan Crabb, and some combination of Chris Kamen and Ed Davis backing them up. That's your 9-slash-10-man rotation, probably 9 on in any given night you pick between Kamen and Ed Davis. And the end of your bench is Noah Vonley, Myers Leonard, Tim Frazier, and Pat Connaughton. So who wouldn't be here? Well, Luis Montero and Cliff Alexander. I don't think if the Blazers were running it back as a win-a-championship-level team that they're going to take a flyer on two dudes who were very, very shaky to make the league in general. Uh, bummer for those guys. They don't actually become NBA players in this hypothetical, and uh, they start their careers likely in other countries playing professional basketball, which is a, a perfectly fine way to make a living, but they wouldn't be beloved members of the Pinwheel Tribe. So here's what I think about this group. One, this is a really good roster. Dame, CJ, Moe, LaMarcus, Mason, Plumlee is a good deal. You can go small and put uh, LaMarcus at the center, not that small even, with Aminu and Moe. You can put more shooting on the court with Alan Crabb. Uh, Gerald Henderson was a do-everything valuable wing, even though it took him for a little while to figure out how they were going to play him. You are a little thin at that guard spot, that second guard spot with uh, behind Damon CJ with Tim Frazier, Pat Connaughton, and Alan Crabb, but you can figure it out and you can sign veteran point guards like they did that year when they brought in Brian Roberts. Shout out to B-Rob. So here's what I think. I think this team, so that's who's, who's here and who's not here. This team is good enough to win the championship, but they were good enough to win the championship the year before and it would have been difficult and I don't think it changes too much here. The the 
15-16 season, of course, is the year that the Golden State Warriors, coming off a cha- their first ever championship with this core, um, shout out to Rick Barry in the championship in 1975, but this Warriors team is coming off a 67-win season, and they and they beat LeBron James in the, in the NBA Finals, but they beat him without Kevin Love, and they beat him without Kyrie Irving, and people are saying that they're fake, lucky champs. So what they decide to do is they decide to win more games than any team has ever won. They win 73 games, and they really exhausted themselves. Truly, truly, truly exhausted themselves. So let's assume that this Blazer team finishes in the same spot. Uh, maybe instead of the not having home court advantage in the 4-5 matchup, they do get home court advantage in the in the 4-5 matchup. Like, they... They... They're now playing the Clippers and Game 6. They they beat the Clippers in Game 6 in LA as opposed to winning Game 6 in Portland. Or they win in Game 7 in, in Portland. Whatever you want. But I, I think... The Blazers have a very small window to beat a hobbled Golden State team. If we're assuming everything else plays out relatively similar, Steph Curry has still slipped on uh, Donato Montehunis's back sweat. Um, he's he's still going to miss the first couple games of the series, the first two games of the series. The Blazers could have won either of those games. And for my money, LaMarcus Aldridge playing in front of Al Farouk Aminu is a, is a pretty significant upgrade. I am a known Aminu lover think that dude is really good he is about a million times worse than LaMarcus Aldridge at basketball though the Blazers can easily go small to match up they can add more shooting LaMarcus really solves a lot of the problems that Golden State has continuously given them in the playoffs because you actually have a real shooter in the middle and not Mason Plumlee and then you or you're spacing with a guy who can wants to shoot and wants to score and not Al Farouk Aminu, they, they've got more solutions. The This was famously the, the second round series where the Blazers, uh, where the Warriors said this was the tightest five-game series they'd ever played. Steph Curry came back in game three. The Warriors won in overtime. Uh, you know, three extremely close games to begin the series, uh, even game five. The closeout game was pretty close. Uh, it took a Steph, it, it took a late Steph Curry bucket to send the Blazers home. He had, a, he had an incredible top of the key three to kind of just ice the game. But I think the Blazers have a real chance to spring an upset against a truly exhausted Warriors team. That means in 2015-16, the Blazers have a chance to win the title. Now, whether or not the Blazers would have overcome the LeBron James Cleveland Cavaliers that were truly one of the great teams of the generation and and beat the 73-win Warriors... Shout out to Draymond Green and kicking people below the belt. It's hard to say. I, th- I think that's a t- much tougher matchup for the Blazers. I don't exactly know how they guard LeBron, some combination of Aminu and Mo Harkless, maybe Gerald Anderson. Uh, Kevin Love and LaMarcus Aldridge would have been a great matchup. Dame versus Kyrie Irving would have been a great matchup. This is an all-time f- fun what-if. Not sure they beat that, that Cavs team, though. So really, so that would be that would be a very tough one. Why I think they have a chance against that Warriors team is because the just the particular timing of everything and how much gas the Warriors may be used during that seventy three win season and their kind of late season obsession with making sure they got the record. Kudos to them for doing it. That was cool, but maybe more trouble than it was worth in hindsight. So the Blazers have a chance to win a championship if Lamarcus stays, but I think the window is very narrow. Because if we assume things go mostly the same way, obviously there was a lot of confluence of things that led Kevin Durant to go to the Warriors, but let's say he still goes there. I don't think this core, even with like 
smart ads in free agency beats that Warriors team over the next two seasons. That's one of the great teams in the history of the game. Perhaps the most talent ever assembled, or at least up there with the 98 Bulls and the 1986 Boston Celtics. They are that good. It's hard for me to believe that the Dame-LaMarcus-CJ pairing is good enough to topple them. But I think there's bigger ripple effects than the Blazers having a legitimate championship window extended one more full season. And that's what I want to talk about in the third segment. If LaMarcus stays and this core is locked in and he's under contract until the end of 2020, he would be heading into free agency right now, what would be the biggest ripple effect? That's what we'll talk about in the third segment. Still a pass first point guard. Still Mike Richmond. Still listening to Lockdown Blazers, and we're still talking about LaMarcus Aldridge staying in Portland, committing to be a Blazers lifer. We talked about sort of the circumstances surrounding his final season here, how he ended up uh, heading to San Antonio. We talked about what might have been in that first season if he had stayed. I think they had a chance to be a a, a title-type team. I think they were that good. That Warriors team was awesome. But I think the, this Blazers core is is good enough, versatile enough. They have the right sort of pieces to hang with that team, particularly if they meet them in the same state they met them in the, 20, uh, in the 2015 playoffs, or in the 2016 playoffs, excuse me. But the biggest ripple effect for if LaMarcus Stang is, is that it dramatically impacts other careers that aren't his. And let's start with the big one. If LaMarcus Aldridge stays, Yusuf Nurkic never becomes a trailblazer. In 2017, at the trade deadline, the Blazers were bad. They were below 500 and they were pivoting. And the asset they were most excited about in this trade that they uh, completed with Denver was a first-round pick. They sent Mason Plumlee packing. They got a first-round pick that was going to be like, you know, mid-lottery-ish. Maybe late lottery. But they also got a... They took a flyer on a young... 22-year-old center, 23-year-old center, who had real promise, had been a lottery pick himself, but had attitude problems and some health issues that kind of held him back in Denver. There was no proof that Yusuf Nurkic was going to be a impact player, one of the best centers in the NBA that he's grown into. And there's just no way, if this plays out, that the Blazers make this trade because it's not the type of thing that contending type teams do they might very well trade mason plumley a relatively productive center with real flaws but there's no way they trade him for an unknown and a draft pick that's a move reserved for teams that are not seriously chasing championships the blazers in 2017 were perfectly positioned to make this trade the blazers with lamarcus aldridge in 2017 are not the other big ripple effect other than yusuf nurkic maybe being out of the league like i think he was in a position where he was either going to catch on somewhere and get his chance after demanding a trade or be, you know, back as a very good basketball player in Europe. The line between NBA starter and star in Europe is thin, and without opportunity, you can cross it. So beyond Yusuf Nurkic, I think the second biggest ripple effect is that CJ McCollum is not a max player under this scenario. The Blazers are not going to shell out a third max contract for a guy who is 
the like the very clearly third in the pecking order a really valuable number three i think this is like cj's sweet spot would be that if there were two players who were obvious all-stars ahead of him um this would make him in, like his this would increase his value a great deal because he wouldn't be asked to do the things that he's not as good at but it also it doesn't mean that he's not on the team i don't mean to say that one thing that neil olshay has been is loyal to people he trusts and people he he drafted he he rolls with his guys he, cj was his guy so I'm thinking that he ends up signing a smaller quote unquote deal, kind of like Alan Crabb's four for 75 million. He's not getting four for 106, I believe is what the max contract extension he signed because you just don't do that for a third guy. But, but there's a chance that CJ sees himself as more than a third guy and it might potentially lead to CJ exploring other avenues to get a bigger share of responsibility on a team. Uh, it doesn't happen right away because he would have been a restricted free agent that summer. So the Blazers, if they wanted him, he was coming back, right? They could match any any deal he got. It's just, you know, maybe someone else offers him a max and they and their, their hand is forced. But if they wanted him on the team, he'd be there. I just think that there's a future where CJ does not sign a second extension with the Blazers like he has since done because he wants to kind of spread his wings a little bit. It also means the weird summer of 2016 in this scenario doesn't happen. The Blazers maybe don't, maybe they, they sign Myers Leonard and maybe they re-up Mo Harkless, but the Allen Crabb deal is an absolute impossibility under this scenario. They're just, um, they, they don't have the money for him or the, or the reason to pay him. And Evan Turner is not getting the call like that. What the Blazers might do though, is be, with this cap spike is add a real valuable fourth part another really valuable center i think one of the funny things about that cap spike is if the blazers had paid all these dudes this you know maxed out lamarcus maxed out dame all these things the cap spike would have helped them do a warriors-esque thing which is have 20 million dollars all of a sudden that wasn't otherwise coming where they could have helped the roster so they maybe would have improved dramatically in the summer of 2016 but certainly not in the same way that they attempted to the final wrinkle or the final like biggest ripple effect here is that Damian Lord's reputation and his ascendance into outright superstardom happens more gradually or at least in a very different way. Dame as like the leader, capital T, capital L, was truly born in that 15-16 season when LaMarcus left and he guided the Blazers to 44 wins, a playoff seed that they were not supposed to get. I don't even think the Blazers, like the Bla like Neil Olshay, I think he thought he built a competitive lottery team and instead he built the fifth best team in the West. Whoops. But that's when kind of like this mythology of Dame as a leader, I'm not saying it's fake, I'm saying like the aura, the sort of like national perception of him as like this wonderful leader was kind of born. Um, out of that, you know, he, he sort of starts to gain more respect as a superstar. He's not a borderline all-star anymore. He's like, oh, this is one of the four or five best point guards in the league. He's an all-NBA type performer. I think he still blossoms into that. You cannot hide talent. Him and LaMarcus are a perfect duo. They could play off each other just fine. He's not really getting held back by LA. But the the 
the sort of softer stuff about his reputation, like his not his his soft skills aren't uh, maybe talked up as much if he has a traditional running mate who's perceived as a star and who's in his 30s, right? Like he's not guiding a young playoff team. He's just being a really good compliment to LaMarcus Aldridge. Also, LaMarcus doesn't like seed in this scenario. LaMarcus doesn't seed control of the franchise to Dame. He doesn't say, okay, now it's your turn. He might say, okay, now you're better than me. But if LaMarcus is staying and chasing being the best blazer ever you know he was still he he made two all-star teams with the spurs so it's like he's still an all-star level power forward on these teams he's still the face he's still the best blazer ever so i think dame rises to superstardom but in a different way and in and in uh and it's certainly a different path i also think the final wrinkle is that if lamarcus stays he's the greatest blazer of all time because he would have caught clyde this team might have made a, a finals appearance, um, and and that's like that's it. If you if if Dame leads a team to the finals, he's going to leapfrog leapfrog Clyde immediately. If the Blazers end up making the finals in twenty sixteen, that's happening. Like Lamarcus is the best player in Blazers history. It happens, and it happens. It's done. Like there's no debating it. It just is what it is. So if Lamarcus stays, things change. The Blazers stay really good for two, at least one more season when they're straight up, might win the championship, might play in the championship, and they're going to, they would have been really good beyond that. You know, they had some, they had perfectly fine seasons without him, made the Western Conference Finals and all these things, but there's no doubt in my mind, and I'd be surprised if you think differently, dear listener, that the Blazers would be significantly better with him on the roster. Uh, even if you love Al Farouk Aminu as much as I do, LaMarcus Aldridge is a better basketball player and a better compliment to Damian Lillard's skill set. But things change. No Nurk. CJ as a third fiddle and maybe someone who wants a bigger opportunity somewhere else. And Damian Lillard as a superstar, but not quite the same pantheon that he has expanded to at this stage of his career. That's what I got for you today. Thanks so much for listening. Do me a favor. Tell your friends about this podcast. They can get where they already get podcasts. Just search Locked On Blazers. We'll be there waiting for you. Appreciate you listening. We'll talk to you soon.